Welcome to another episode of My Mind with Stefan Taylor. Um, I wanted to say that it was Auguste Escoffier, who was the chef I was talking about last time and kind of structured brigades in kitchens. Um, I actually got it wrong. He didn't die on the Titanic. He wrote the menu for the Titanic. Um, but yeah, no, he was good. He um, really paved the way for kind of modern cooking. But I ended last time on how multicultural Australia is. I just wanted to capitalize that on like a little bit more. Because where I grew up was, it was a country city. I won't say it was a country town. It was definitely smaller than a city. But it was definitely more it was it was a city but a town i guess because it grown so much from when um we were all kids to how it is now i think now it's quite big i think now it's like a a pretty central city uh at the moment but even in that town there was you know a couple of multicultural families in the early 2000s and probably in the 90s and late 80s I would say there was um yeah it was definitely a large demographic of culture in that small town and that kind of reflects on all of Australia how there is so much culture and diversity throughout the whole country not even from a hospitality standpoint but from every every industry there is diversity. There's not one, excuse me, there's not one um, kind of industry where it's dominated by um, one particular, um, hmm, yeah, there's not. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's just so diverse, Australia, and it's really great. It really it really grows our hospitality and our just just the way we view ourselves and how we see uh the world because it's it's just so great growing up in a country where um kind of it doesn't matter what creed or or um religion or or country you come from it just matters that you're you're Australian and you're hardworking and you get along with others and you're kind to others. That's all that kind of really matters. Obviously in, I won't say obviously, but in today's world, there is still a lot of stigma without getting too deep into it. There is still a lot of stigma towards race and how some races are treated, but I'll keep it. Yeah, I won't go too deep into it because, you know, there's a lot that can be said and there's a lot that won't be said and I won't be the one to say it because this is not the platform (laughs) to kind of say it because who am I really to say what's right and what's wrong? All I've got is kind of freedom of speech and kind of what I can and can't say. So I think I'll just stay away from it. But I will talk about is how... disrespectful some people are in hospitality. I mean, I was um, 
at my workplace and I'd just finished and I went and uh, grabbed a, a beverage for the end of shift and just kind of had a bit of a power with a couple of the chefs. And um, one of the girls that were working there brought down a drink, a tray of drinks and the, the guy who ordered the drinks when she was walking past with the drinks was threw a $50 note at her. <laughs> like she was gonna start dancing on the table for him or something. Like it was so ignorant and disrespectful to someone, whether he would have done it if it was a male or like another female staff member. It was just more the principle that he threw money at someone and like props to her for not like bending down and picking it up. You know, she just let it fall on the ground. But it's just like that mentality of we're not we're not slaves. We're not here to dance when you play your tune. You know, you, you throw money at us. And yeah, we're in a service industry, but you throw money at us expecting us to to what? Start going home and shine your shoes or go home and wash your car or start taking our clothes off for you and start doing a jig like <laughs> What do you expect? You want us to go home and start cooking your meals? Like what happened in that person's childhood that were they like brought up by strippers and that was like the only way to, the only way you can be respectful to, to women is, is if you, is if you A, throw money at them or B, throw more money at them. Like it's just crazy to think that that guy, uh, drunk or not, kind of thought that was okay. And I'm telling you, it's not okay. You can just pay. If you're going to leave a tip, leave a tip. You know, that's fine. You go, oh, thank you for your service. Here's your tip. In Australia, we're not really big on tipping because, um, well, it's not big on tipping. It's not really a custom that we um, that we do in Australia. We still do it. Like, we still accept tips because, you know, sometimes it's, it's just showing that, you know, you appreciate that. You know, whatever a tip means, I guess, you know, it's just being generous or being nice or saying thank you without, you know, because you already pay for the services and the goods. And then you say, you know, it's additional $5 or whatever to say thank you. This is all I can give you. <laughs> but it's a thanks nonetheless. Um, yeah, it was just really, it was a really eye opening experience. And I've seen it a hunt, I've seen it so many times. Like my beautiful wife is. Well, not now, but she'd done 15 years in hospitality. And I'll tell you, she's had some some people be very nasty and very rude to her for just either refusing them service or trying to solve a complaint. Some people, it's just, it's zero to 100. At the end of the day, it's just it's just dinner. You know, like, would you do that to your wife or your your husband that just prepared you a meal? Would you start going up and start yelling and say, this is, this is not, not what I expected. I didn't expect this at all. Can't, can't believe it. Can't believe that I gave you money to go to the shops or I went to the shops and bought this and then you've done this to it. I can't believe it. I'm going to call the, I'm going to call Fair Work, <laughs> the, the Fair Trade Commission, and I'm going to, get you sued because you've put 
you've put the wrong sauce on my schnitzel. I can't believe this. What an outrage. This is horrible. Can't believe the way I'm being treated. Can't believe you're apologizing. Why would you apologize for something that you did? It's crazy. It's like, um, too many tomatoes and tomato sauce. (laughs) It's just one of those things where it's, yeah, some people are just really, really mean, really mean. And I'm not telling you that you shouldn't be because, you know, some things are worth complaining about, like a really, really overcooked steak when you ask for it to be, we ask for it not to be that rarity and it come out a, a very different rarity. I mean, you can let it slide if it's like, you know, some people chalk and cheese about um, medium rare and a medium, you know, but yeah. Anyway, um, it also comes under that that kind of, my, without slamming my kitchen rules, I'm sure it is a good show. I have watched some episodes with um, my wife and it's, it's enjoyable to watch, you know, people crack under this higher pressure situation. And then you like, think about it from a kitchen perspective or a front of house perspective. And you think what you're going through, plating up eight meals for a dinner party, <laughs> trying to impress two celebrity chefs or whatever is like half your battle, you know, not even half your battle. That's like such a low pressure thing for someone who cooks every day because not everyone's a celebrity chef, but everyone's entitled to their opinion, whether it be on TripAdvisor, Facebook, Google reviews or whatever. Everyone's entitled to say their piece about the food they got and what they paid for the food and the expectation of their food. I don't want to like throw the blame, but like the food standard <laughs> somewhere along the way went from like, um, I won't say zero, but it went from a hundred to a thousand of people's expectation of what they should get versus what they can do. You know, it's very crazy. Even when people are, you know, I'm very, I'm a, I'm a very good cook. I'm a very good cook at home. I'm a very good cook, but you throw them on a service and then tell them to, you know, you're a good cook at home. Why can't you cook on the line? You know, you can cook for hubby or wifey, but you can't jump on the line and start cooking for a thousand people. Cause that's, just, that's what you're saying. That's what you're saying you can do. You're saying you can cook. You're saying that you can cook a medium rare steak a thousand times and get every medium rare right. That's, you know, that's not in the too hard basket for most professional chefs. That's in that. Yeah, I can do that. No dramas. No dramas at all can do that. But if you put Joe and Jane average on there from my kitchen rules, you're going to have one, you're going to have maybe 10, maybe 50, maybe a hundred steaks that aren't their medium rare. And you're going to complain. You're going to like challenge all of them. If you were, I'll put it to you. If you were, if you were the chef and you had to handle the complaints and a hundred people, not professionals came to you and said, that there was a slight difference between the medium rare and the medium steak. A hundred people came to you and said that. It'd be pretty, it's pretty crushing. It's, it's not happened to me, but it might when more people hear this, they might try and work out where I work and go there and complain about the steaks. Maybe, I hope not. 
because generally most people that leave my workplace are generally quite satisfied. Except even old mate who threw his money around like he was Billy Billionaire. You know, he seemed to have a great time, having a lovely time, treating people disrespectfully and having this weird arrogance around him. And he was like, he was short as well. I don't know if that adds to the problem or like makes it better or makes it like more passable because he was shorter. You know, they say short people have short tempers, which um, I don't exactly agree with because I'm, I'm not short. I'm tall. But that doesn't mean I have a, a longer fuse because I'm taller. Like physically that that would make more sense, I guess. If you were a shorter person, you would have a shorter fuse. Because it's less to, it's, you know, it's not far to go. If you're a taller man, you got taller to go. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but yeah, that's, I won't talk about hospitality anymore. I'll talk about something else. Um, what I really, I did want to dig into was how good is Call of Duty? There's not many people. <laughs> I mean, we're probably all over the, um, the microtransactions and the, what they're doing right now is taking up over 200 gig <laughs> of data. It's like they, it's like storage wars, you know, like as soon as I delete a game, Call of Duty, like put in a bid, it's, you know, the show, well, I'm really just talking to me, I guess, do I know the show storage wars? I guess I do know the show storage wars, but um, yeah. And, and they just put in a bid and then they just lowball them. <laughs> $100. I want $100 for your for your storage space. And my Xbox is like, sold. Sold to Infinity War. And there, there goes another 50 gig. And then two weeks down the track, the same thing happened. And now we're up to 200. And that's a lot of space. That's not nothing. That's like the equivalent of 60 acres of land. Maybe that's not a lot. Maybe... I don't really understand acres, if I'm being quite honest. Um, 400 square foot. That sounds more impressive. 400 squared by the foot. That sounds good. We'll pay that one. Um, Yeah. But how good is it? It's so good. I think the evolution of the first person shooter to what it is now is not that evolved. (laughs) I think Call of Duty 2 or Call of Duty 1, I think it was Finest Hour. Maybe that was the first one. That was World War II scenario, D-Day and all that kind of stuff. And um, I think you fought most of the war in Normandy, I think. And then the second one came out and it was the same storyline. Not the same, it was different. But then they had Big Red 1 and that was in Africa. That was awesome. That was really cool. That was probably my favourite Um one on the older gen. And then we've seen new ones come out and they really broke the kind of first person tension with the um with um the first modern warfare that came out in 07. Which was great. That's a great that's a great game. Even playing it back now, it's so unrealistic. <laughs> But it's so realistic. It's, there's some things that are like, oh, yeah, that's wow, that's really cool. And then looking back, it's like, oh, wow, it's so tactical. That was so tactical. And then, like, you play the um, prequel to it, which is, like, the newest one, and it's so tactical. It's, like, even more tactical than 
it's like the prequel because it came out before is more tactical than the sequels thereafter. <laughs> it's like they got more and more tactical as it went on. And then before the very first Modern Warfare, it got even more tactical. And then, <laughs> and it, yeah, it's um, that's a crazy way to think of it. But as far as the game goes, it's, it's just still a great game. I don't know, maybe because I've played Call of Duty from 14 to 29. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I would say. Yeah. That's probably the longest one I've played for. Consistently playing them at least once a year. No, at least like buying them once a year. I think my biggest letdown was Advanced Warfare, the one with Kevin Spacey. Not... um, putting Kevin Spacey down. He does a brilliant job in anything he does, in my opinion. Usual Suspects is a really great movie um, that he's in. But he definitely didn't add or, like, take away. He was kind of just a, a kind of a famous person. It's like when they put Ice Cube in Black Ops. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's that's Ice Cube. And then he, you know, spoiler, he dies. It's like, whoa, that sucks. He was in there and it was awesome. And now he's not there. That sucks, you know? And he was like, he was a pretty cool character as well. But I'm a West Coast rap guy, you know, love Ice Cube. Ice Cube is the man, the OG, the original genius, as he says. Not a gangster, he's a genius. Well, he is. Kind of pioneered modern rap. Him and um, Dr. Dre and all that kind of business. Uh, Kind of really engineered that signature west coast style i think the east coast is still like the east coast is definitely more more grimy and dirty and um more raw maybe but la just like all the beats are just even though there's some dark stories that they rap about it's still even so like I think Ice Cube says it best when he's like, gangsters don't dance, they boogie. And you can always, you can always boogie to that stuff, you know. I find it hard to, like, boogie to some New York stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. There are some really good lyricists out of New York. For sure. On the East Coast, definitely. Even the South. What did, um, what did Joe 3000 say? Even the South got something to say. Atlanta. Is that South? Atlanta? Maybe. Atlanta, Georgia? Sounds South. I um I know America a little bit, but not a lot. Are they from Atlanta? I don't know. Killer Mike's from Atlanta, though. Can't see it, but I'm doing the Rundle Jewels thing with the fist in the... It doesn't matter. You can't see it. But I'm doing it. You can probably hear it. Um, yeah, that was um probably the best thing maybe I'm getting hung up on it but it's just crazy to think that I'm I'm back on the hospitality thing I know I said I'd stop but I'll just say one more point I think everyone thinks that every chef is this Gordon Ramsay or Marco Pierre White kind of personality as well which is really annoying because a lot of us aren't like that yeah we're all social outcasts and weirdos but we're not like <laughs> these short-tempered hotheads that are willing to 
shut a kitchen down in a heartbeat because something's not going our way. I'm not saying he's having a bit of a tantrum tantrum, but for like some people in history, oh, it's shocking that they're selling this rubbish food. But at the same time, it's like, man, you, you're stopping them. You're just, you're stopping the service because you're not happy. That's really what's happening. Maybe he'll, um, maybe he'll click. I'll, 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 I'll call the episode Gordon Ramsay episode and I'll get some clickbait and some views. No, I don't really care about that. Um, I think, yeah, they all just think that we're Gordon Ramsay, eh? Like, it's really crazy that they just think that we're these bloody Gordon Ramsay types. Where it's like, oh, don't don't annoy the chef. Oh, you know, oh, 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 don't start him. Not today. He'll shut it down. He'll shut everything down. It's no chef in that power, unless he's the owner proprietor. But if it, if I ever if I was on the line and I said shut it down and meant it, there would be at least ten people that would say, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> if I was not happy with one thing, <laughs> and I shut the service down, it'd be it. I'd be on the six o'clock news, and it wouldn't be for the right reasons. It'd be this guy stopped everyone from getting food and stopped everybody from making money. It's amazing that there's no, like, maybe I haven't seen it. Maybe I could probably Google it, but you don't see a lot of the fallout from like a restaurant that goes on um, after the whole kitchen nightmare scene. Like there's no, I haven't, I personally, personally, I haven't seen an episode where, um, he kind of goes back there and sees how they, how they're going. There probably is. There would be. Like it's a, it's a um. What show? What's? It's it's on pay TV, so it's on normal TV now. So free TV, free to air TV. It's not called normal TV anymore. That um implies that pay TV is something special when you call normal TV normal TV. Because they're both the same really now. I mean, what's the real difference? Sport twenty four seven. I think and movies. Ah, oh, movies. Ah, oh, HBO, actually. Yeah, HBO would be nice. That'd be nice. That would be nice. Going, going on a HBO thing. That'd be... um. Just to, just to watch HBO, like watch The Wire, The Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire, Rome, that new Perry Mason. I haven't seen that, but that looks really good. Yeah. Rob Downey Jr., he's um producing that. That's pretty cool. He's um He's a cool dude. He's a very cool dude. I liked Robert Downey Jr. before I met like a lot of diehards. I liked him in um, uh, US Marshals. He was cool in that. And he was cool in, um, oh, what's that crazy movie? Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. That's probably number two all-time favorite movies. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, for sure. Val Kilmer, Michelle Monaghan. Oh. Yeah, that is just a cool movie. That is that is a cool movie. That guy, Shane Black, and he's had his hooks in Hollywood for ages before he started. I think that was his directorial debut. I think. Because he was all he wrote like a couple of lethal weapons and maybe he wrote Demolition Man with Sylvester Stallone. I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know about that. But yeah, he um he definitely wrote a relief for weapon, for sure. 
Yeah. And he wrote uh, Iron Man 3, which you can really tell. If you watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and then you watch Iron Man 3, those two movies are so similar in like the quirkiness of the story, the dialogue of the story, and the interactions. Like the interactions in 3 are not like 1 and 2, the John Favreau ones. Like they're definitely quirky and they definitely have um, the, the kind of show-off um, Rob Downey Jr.'s Robert Downey Jr.'s kind of style of um, conversing, which is like that kind of dry, um, dry, sarcastic kind of vibe, which is awesome. That's like, it's like he gets me because <laughs> that's kind of my, I love being sarcastic and having a really dry, dark kind of sense of humor. That's kind of my jam. But um, yeah, I think I think the best thing about having a really dark and dry sense of humor is just seeing how far you can take the rabbit hole, how far you can go underground before before there's no joke left. <laughs> like, how far can you go to make someone laugh? And then can you go further? So it's so funny in their head, but so dark and twisted that they don't laugh. That's the real magic when you can go further than anybody thought you could go, when you can twist the first joke into this crazy, freaky, weird, (laughs) kind of madness into something funny, then then you've nailed it. It's like when I do, or when I imitate someone, I always take it to like this weird extreme. Like I don't even take it from their personality. I sound, I like, I do the impression like them, but I don't, but I always do like something they would never say or something that's like so out of character. You know, that's like the real beauty of like doing an imitation is trying to take it to this weird place where no one really wants to go to. If you can get there, then you're sorted. If you can always, no, I shouldn't say that, but that's how I feel about kind of jokes is that you can just, especially imitation, is you can just say anything <laughs> as long as you sound like them, like it's all right. Like you could, um, oh, you could just, you could just take it, you could just take it anywhere. You can take it anywhere. You can put it in a bag. You can, you can get all of them, all of them, put it in the bag take it down to the bus station, get on the bus with the bag, the bag's under uh, in the bus carriage, right? In the undercarriage. And then you're on the bus and you know, you know you've got them all in your bag. Then you grab the bag out because you're at the airport. And what do you do? You get in the cab, you go back to your house and then you walk to the train station. But you've left your bag at home. So you got to go back. You get an Uber back and then you get your bag and then you get get your bag, right? You got your bag back, and then you go back to the train station. And then you get on the train. Then you get it straight, XPT, all the way, Midland. Midland straight, get on the Gunya, go all the way up down from the north to the south. Then you end up where? With your joke, of course. <laughs> See, that was like a great example of a story for nothing. I've really just wasted two minutes 
of talking about how you can essentially drag a joke from station to station and not even a good joke. It's not even like a great punchline. It's not even a really good joke, but it definitely, you know, got you thinking about where you can take your impressions and your imitations. I think the best imitations are like obvious ones. Like, have you noticed? I haven't done one yet. (laughs) It's like I'm waiting for the perfect time to do one. But the best ones are like just really obvious, obvious ones. Like the, um, what's a big one now? Um, a big one's probably Donald Trump. I can't do a very good Donald Trump, but I'll try. And they say the the babies are the ones that will cure the coronavirus. And you can't see it on pouting. That was probably the best one I've got. But you just go, he, he wouldn't even say that. But would he say that? Trump's pretty, he says some weird stuff. He's on that kind of Twitter war zone. I think that was the the best analogy I heard for Twitter. I'm not on Twitter. But I think the best analogy for Twitter was someone called it a um, a war zone, like a Twitter minefield, because you can say something, and be, it comes back to that. Um, it's hard to sound not serious <laughs> on a keyboard, essentially, or a phone pad. I guess you can't really purvey your message when you're um, just writing it. It's kind of hard to be sarcastic when you're writing, unless you know that person. Like if I wrote something on Twitter or Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and I said, um, uh, love Saturday mornings, you would just read it. The passerby would be like, oh, guy likes Saturday mornings. There's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of my friends were like, oh, classic, classic Stefan. Complaining about those Saturday mornings. Oh, classic. Can't believe he's doing the Saturday thing. Can't believe that. <laughs> but yeah, Twitter Twitter Warzone. Twitter Minefield. That's a cool thing. I think, not to talk about anything too dark, but I've been waiting for the moment to say... Um, I always, I don't always see it cause I'm not like looking at morbid posts, but when people write, um, in memoriam of someone that has passed away, they write, uh, rest in peace, fly high, all that kind of stuff, which is awesome. Awesome to read and awesome for the families as well to see, it and, you know, know, then they know that, you know, someone's that person that they lost has touched someone, uh, in their lives. And, um, uh, I recently had a kind of friend colleague pass away and I, I jumped on the moment to say rest in power. Cause I think that is like, that's, that's like, so that's an awesome way to think of, of a morning is like, he's not, you know, he's resting in peace of course, but he's like, he's resting in power as well. And like, if you knew this guy, he's, he's upstairs doing the man dance, (laughs) you know, he's up there in this cool kind of, I don't know, 
Can't pitch it. But, yeah, he can rest in power now. And I can see him up there with his palette knife. Just being the, just being the man. And that's what that guy was. He was the man. He was absolute, an absolute legend in um, hospitality. And he can rest in power. And I think that is like the, the best way to say, like, rest in peace. Or a version of rest in peace. It's like, rest in power. Rest in power, bro. Yeah. Rest in power. I think I got that from Mortal Technique. Shout out to Mortal Technique. I think he says it a lot. And, you know, I follow him on Instagram. And that's, that's just so awesome. Rest in power. Man, that is awesome. I want someone to say it when I... When I pass. Say, rest in power, Stefan. Go upstairs near the man dance. That's... <laughs> what is the man dance? That's such a weird... I don't know where I got that from. But yeah, I'd love to... Oh, man, I'd love to go upstairs and do the man dance. It's like my time. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on Earth to get upstairs and do the man dance. Who doesn't want to do the man dance? Sounds awesome. But what would be... What would be, like, the version of the man dance? For me, it would be, like, going upstairs and, and doing, like, a really manly Irish jig while I'm drinking a bowl of Jameson... <laughs> And smoking a Cuban. That would be like my man dance. <laughs> I think my favorite imitation has got to be European. No, not European. British. But like the different parts of British. I once watched a show... I can't remember the name of the show, but it was like a trucking show and they had this really unique British accent. And for a country so small, they have so many different kind of dialects and dialogues and ways of speaking like this, like the, the um, like the Essex, the, the Cockney, the, all right, gov, all right, geezer, steak, steak, chips and eggs, geez. Yeah, you're all right, mate. And then you've got like, I can't really do Manchester actually, but there's like the mank, they say the mank. And then there's like Scouser, Fuck. Scouser. I'm Scouser, yeah. You don't want to come near me, yeah? Because that's how we do, mate. We're down in Scouser, down in Liverpool. We're all Scouser there, mate. You can't knock us out. You can't, you can't knock us out because we're Scouse, Scouser. That's a really good one. I like Scouser or Liverpool. That's a really good one. Bristol, like Hagrid, Hagrid, Hagrid. I think he's like got the kind of Bristol accent where he's like, um, oh, you don't want to go there, Harry. Oh, oh, they wouldn't like that, would they, Harry? You you go over there and you, you change your locks under your car there and you go under the car. And you see the trailer, and you go under the trailer, Harry. You go under the trailer, you see, and you go under there, and there's a cat. You see the cat? You take the cat out, and then you, you got the trailer off. And that's kind of Bristol. Maybe. I'll probably get slammed for that. That's kind of Bristol. And then there's, like, Birmingham. <laughs> the Birmingham accent. The Northern English accent. 
is like, that's great. I once worked with a um, British guy from the kind of Midlands and he because what you do with an accent is you kind of pick a sentence and then you kind of say that sentence a hundred times. You try and find the hook of the sentence and then you just try and get all your words to, to sound like that sentence. And um, he, he was like, um, what, they're, what they're known for in Birmingham, this isn't his accent, I'm just going to play on it a little bit. What they're known for is the war. And all you hear him talk about is the war. And he goes, it's true. The best water in the country. It's it's true. It's true. And that's like, that's great. That's a great accent. I think um, Peaky Blinders, I think they're Birmingham. They're Birmingham. Grace, it's me, Thomas Shelby from Birmingham. Birmingham up north in the Peaky Blinders. That's maybe. That's maybe not Thomas Shelby, but that's like kind of Birmingham. I think they're, and obviously Irish is great. I think the most imitatable Irish person used to be <laughs> that um, whoever said diddly dee potatoes and then it became like Conor McGregor. And now everyone's Irish accent is like Conor McGregor. I think uh, in his last fight, he was like, you know, you know, Joel. There's there's gonna be one thing they say about me, and they always say I've I've always I've got a strong left hand, strong left hand. But now they're gonna say I got a strong left shoulder. And that's all credit to Conor McGregor. You see, you can see the way I dip I dip my shoulder in the way I hit his orbital, and I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was doing when I come in. I come in with my left shoulder. I come in and out, in and out like that, and I hit the rat. I hit the rat. He says rat funny. But I won't go on. Um, but yeah, they're probably... I can't do Scottish very well. For a person that can do, well, I think, um, a decent Irish accent and most of Britain, I won't say most, three quarters, no, a quarter of British accents. I just can't do Scottish. Scottish. Can't seem to do Scottish very well. You see, it comes off as like really Welshy and weird and not very good i like to be pretty good there's not like one or i guess you can just imitate what like the the big dude from austin powers we can just say (laughs) i want my baby back baby back baby back baby back please but you can't say that because then well you just can't say it for like hours and hours and then because it doesn't improve your accent you can't say everything the same that kind of nullifies the point I was trying to make before, but in a tangent world that, um, yeah, that's what you try to do. You try to just pick one, one sentence and then put an emphasis on a word in the accent and then slowly make everything sound like that. (laughs) That is like the key to imitation. It's like, what's the, the Jerry, what's that another one? The Jerry Seinfeld. And what's the go of airplane food? And why am I yelling? You know, that's his thing. I think, um, 
30 Rock do like a really good one where like Tina Fey is doing it. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld is like, why are you imitating me? And, she, and she's like, I don't know. This is how I sound when I'm crying. <laughs> That's so funny. That show, that show is so funny. Alec Baldwin and Tina Fey, they're so funny. Even like Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan was like, um, is it Tracy Morgan? Yeah, it is. Yeah. The, he was like a surprise hit for me in that show. I didn't think Tracy Morgan was that funny when he was on, he was on like Crank Yankers, I think. And um, something else. And he really didn't hit it for me. And then when I see him on 30 Rock kind of playing this really flamboyant version of himself, I was really on board. I was like, yeah, yeah you go, Tracy. You do it. You do that dance. You do that man dance. And that was, um, yeah, really good show. i never seen the, um, the revival episode. I'm pretty sure they did like a revival episode. But it'd be good to see those characters back in again. But it's sad to see that some characters got kind of typecast. Like that, um, like Kenneth. I couldn't see him playing anybody but this kind of weird boy from the Southwest. Oh, I don't know. Actually, do you know what's a really good imitation that people are doing? It's like the Rick and Morty imitation. I can't do Rick really well, but like, oh, geez, I don't, I don't, I don't know, Rick. Seem seem to go a long way for nothing. When you get when you get your stuff and you take it out of the box and you put the box in the thing, and I don't know where you're going, Rick. I don't I don't I don't know where you're going with this, Rick. That's probably the best Morty I can do. Under zero pressure. Zero pressure. Um That's kind of it for me. Yeah. I'll um I'll try and do another one next week. If you enjoyed that. Just listen to it and I'll, um, I don't know if you can let me know. I don't really know how it works, but I feel like a lot of people my age are doing podcasts and I don't know if they're doing them because Joe Rogan's doing them. I definitely got seeded with the idea from just wanting to talk to my friends more because I I did about 10 months in the um, Outback Australia I didn't talk to my friends for 10 months, not because I didn't want to, it's because, um, I didn't, I either didn't have internet or I didn't have, um, phone reception and I was just working so much that it was like, ah, oh, I just couldn't, I couldn't, I just couldn't call because I was just so worn out. Like I was so exhausted. I was physically, mentally exhausted from this job that I had and I had my wife and son with me. And we were just always exhausted all the time. And any time we took away to go to civilization, as it were, it would just be R&R, you know? Like, I barely spoke to my family as well, which is like, I don't really speak to my family all that much, really. But when we do, we have good chats. (laughs) Not to sound like some weird loner, but when I do talk to my family, we don't talk as often as anyone would like, but... When we do call, it's heartfelt and it's a long conversation. It's never like, oh, yeah, you good? Yeah, same. Oh, oh, that's a shame. I'll see you soon. And that's it. You know, like it's always, um, 
always asking questions. I'm a bit reclusive as well. I don't really like to, um, I don't like to do things out of my way sometimes. Sometimes I'm just very comfortable sitting on my lounge, playing the Xbox and maybe talking to a few friends over Xbox. I don't know if that changed. That's definitely how I've always kind of been. If I'm not in the mood to talk to someone, I just won't be in the mood. No, I'd rather just sit there, play the Xbox or or watch a movie with um, my beautiful wife and child. You know, I'd rather do that. Um, what did I say? I was going to, I was going to stop, but, um, yeah, I guess, um, I'll do another one next week, probably I would say, and, um, we'll see how we go. Anyway, thank you. I might call my family.